Good morning, good morning. Um, yeah, as uh, Dan was saying, I'm Ryan. I, I'm part of the team here at Redeemer. And um, this is, uh, we, we began last week a series called Resident Aliens. Uh, and Dave Armstrong opened that series up. And um, he, we're looking at in this series what it means to be the church in a, in a strange age. Um, this time that we live in. And Dave did that last week by examining our calling to be a people who are somehow part of the world that we find ourselves in, but we're also, also somehow set, set apart from it. And we looked at our calling uh, last week to see ourselves as a community in exile, much like the ancient Israelites saw themselves uh, displaced and from their homeland of Israel and taken into captivity in Babylon. And their call in Babylon was to build houses, to plant gardens, to pray and to seek the welfare, the shalom of the city that they found themselves in. Uh, the cities were, in the city's welfare, they would find their own welfare and they would be being true to their calling as being a light to the nations of the world, a calling which for the most part up to that point in their story, they had pretty much failed to do. So it is with us today in our digital Babylon, if you like, this empire that we find ourselves living under in sort of Western capitalistic culture. And we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be a prophetic witness to another way of living, to be God's alternative new community being born in the very midst of this world. Uh, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are to exist for Belfast, for the city around us. We are resident aliens, as this series is called. This week, we're going to go a wee step further, um, and we're going to look at what the hot center, what the nucleus, what the, the spark at the very, very core of this community, this new community that God is shaping us into. What is that? What is the core? What is that spark? And by doing that this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be a community of death. Now, what do I, what do I mean by that? You might be uncomfortable this morning with the idea of death, and nobody could really blame you. Um, it comes to us all, obviously. Maybe you've journeyed alongside those who you love as they meet death. You know, I know I have, and the sorrow and the pain that that can bring. You know, we see that death has this power over us. It's unavoidable. It's inevitable. It's dreadful. And so we use language. We use different metaphors to, to try to communicate something of what death is to allow us to approach it kind of abstractly, but still communicating something of its power. The great beyond, fade the black, kick the bucket, lights out. The big sleep, pushing up daisies, shuffling off this mortal coil, snuffed it, passed on, all metaphors that we use to talk about death. But don't worry, today I'm not gonna go into the morbid too much, fingers crossed. What do I mean by a community of death? Isn't Christianity supposed to be all about life? Yeah, we were singing about that a minute ago. In a way it is, but it definitely is. But we know that right at the center of our faith, there is this act of horrific barbarity, a death, the death, we might say, the death of God, the death of death, the cross of Christ. 
Jürgen Moltmann, the theologian, put it like this. He said, at the center of the Christian faith is the history of Christ. At the center of the history of Christ is his passion and his death on the cross. What about it? What difference does it make to us? How are we to make sense of this as a community? Does it make a difference to us that we are people who have been shaped after the crucified Christ? What does that mean for us? What if we are to be a cruciform community as much as we are to be a community of resurrection? And what would that look like? We're gonna explore these questions a little bit today and hopefully we're gonna come away with a renewed sense of what it means to be a community that's been formed at the level playing field at the foot of the cross. So I talked about the hot center, this nucleus, this spark at the core of this new community that God is shaping us into. What is it? Throughout the ages, Christians have believed that God really did atone for sins in Jesus Christ and that God really is about the work of redemptively restoring relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. This act of restoring and reconciling man and all of creation to himself through Jesus is known as the atonement. In other words, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the evangelion is the atonement, or more specifically, the atonement is how that gospel works. Got it? Sweet. So what? You might be thinking. Maybe you're groaning. Maybe sense a theological lecture coming up. Well, I'm not gonna go there. There are many metaphors that the scriptures and the Christians throughout the ages have used for the atonement, just like those metaphors that I used about death a few minutes ago. Many metaphors that the church has used to describe what is happening through this reconciling death of Jesus. And it's beyond me to go into any kind of detail this morning about what any or each of those mean. But suffice to say that there's not a flat way to understand what God's doing in Christ through his death on the cross. I love how New Testament theologian Scott McKnight puts it in a little book that I read in preparing for this um, sermon this morning uh, called The Community uh, of Atonement. And uh, he says that it's a little bit like a bag of golf clubs. You know, if you're a golfer, you need a full bag of clubs to make your way around the course in any kind of decent par. And uh, each golf club has a slightly different function to the other. So you don't really get many golfers who are like one club golfers. You know, your putter isn't gonna be able to drive a ball down the, the fairway or get you out of the sandbox, but it's gonna be pretty handy when you need that precision to get the ball in the hole on the green. Same with the driver, it's not gonna be so good apart from off the tee down the fairway. So we need a full bag of clubs to play a decent game of golf. And so it is with the atonement, with these metaphors for atonement that scripture and that Christians throughout the ages have used, we need them all to describe and properly understand the atoning work of Christ, its magnitude and its scope, what God is doing there. Sometimes this can get a little bit confusing for us. We've got this incomplete knowledge of God and his ways and how he works in the world. And some of these metaphors are actually pretty ugly when they're articulated poorly and that perhaps they don't really accurately reflect the heart of God. And so ultimately, those metaphors only allow us to go so far in understanding what's going on. We just get a glorious glimpse and then we have to fall into the arms of mystery and just surrender 
to the awe and the wonder and let our hearts be filled with gratitude that Jesus has actually revealed the heart of God in forgiving us and atoning for sin. Perhaps the best approach for us is to simply have confidence in the God who atones rather than our own favorite understanding of what that means. So I wanna say it again, the atoning work of God in Christ through the Spirit and reconciling ourselves to him, to ourselves, to others in community and to the world. That is the work of the atonement. But what is it? What is this thing that needs to be reconciled to God? What is the problem? What is the issue that needs this reconciling work to take place? I wanna try to answer this this morning by um, revisiting a recent word that we received as a community. A couple of weeks ago, you might remember Jason, uh, our friend from uh, South Bend City Church in uh, America. And uh, he took us through a mantra that they've adopted as in their community, which was everyone an icon. And what he meant by this was the idea that humans are image bearers of God. We have been made as image bearers of God. And the Latin term for that you might hear you sometimes is the imago Dei. He talked about how we're all guilty of othering, that our propensity as human beings is to somehow demean, to dehumanize, to devalue other fellow human beings based on our perceptions about them. Maybe it's because they're of a different social, economic, racial, or other kind of standing to us. He talked of the innate problem of violence in our culture and that the very root of this demeaning and devaluing of others is a violation of their own innate image bearing, image of God bearing capacity. He reminded us how we, as the people of God, those who get to recognize and reflect back this image bearing likeness to those we meet, and particularly to those who might be considered other than us, that we are to see in them first and foremost the beauty and the inherent unsurpassable dignity and worth in each person before us, no matter what our differences are, even and especially those that we might consider to be outside of our tribe, and especially those that Jesus called our enemies. We've been made in the image of God, but it's pretty clear if we're even for a moment willing to be honest with ourselves, there's something fundamentally distorted, something that's a little bit out of whack with the crystal clear image that we might expect if we're truly made as images of God. We might say that we are cracked icons. We are like faded Polaroid pictures. The narrative of scripture calls this brokenness, this fading of the image, which expresses itself as rebellion against God this missing the mark of his ideal, it calls it sin. The big picture is that the atonement from beginning to end is God's work at resolving this cosmic problem of evil in the world that we know as sin. Introduced as we're told in the narrative by Adam and Eve, those first image bearers in the garden, the pinnacle of God's good creation, his image bearers, they become marred through disobedience. And so the whole human race that follows has become tainted by sin and death is the result of that. The rest of the story is from one perspective, God's working to restore this image bearing capacity of man to its original clarity and goodness. We discover in the story that Jesus is the perfect image bearer of God. He is the one in whom we find 
our faded Polaroid image restored. He is the one perfect icon, the perfect image bearer to a broken world. We're all cracked, broken icons. We've all got our stuff. We all have things that if we're really honest with ourselves, we know something at our core needs to be set right, needs to be washed clean, needs to be liberated. We all have our own junk. You know, I know stuff about me that if you knew the stuff about me that I know about me, you probably wouldn't want to know me. And likewise, you guys with me. So the work is to set this part. The work of the atonement is to set this brokenness right. Our broken yet beautiful image bearing likeness being set right by the one true image bearer. He has come to heal us of this brokenness. When I think of this, I can't help but think of the images of, you've probably seen them too, that Japanese art, Kintsugi, should be an image on the screen. Kintsugi is this centuries old Japanese art of fixing broken pottery with precious metals, beautiful seams of gold, glint in the cracks of the broken ceramic ware, giving a unique appearance to the piece when it is restored to its original form. So it is with us. When Christ restores us, when he heals our brokenness, we still bear the scars of that brokenness. But the amazing thing is that through our scars, the beauty of the personal work of Jesus can be glimpsed. As he restores us, he makes us beautiful through our wounds. Our scars tell a story that allows his glory to be seen. But the problem is that it's not just us that's broken. It's somehow the whole of creation. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Colossians. He said of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we can say that God's work in Christ through the Spirit is at work reconciling all things to himself. How, how can we understand this? So this morning I want to explain it by looking at this image of a cross, which will come up on the screen. This problem of evil, the reality of this thing that we call sin, this disruption of shalom, of the complete peace and well-being in God's originally good creation has tainted and distorted our relationship not only with God, but it's tainted our relationship with ourselves. It's tainted our relationship with others in community and it's tainted our relationship with the whole world. So firstly, tainted our relationship to God so we can know the forgiveness and reconciling of relationship when we come into right relationship with God through the work of Christ on the cross. Then with ourselves, we learn that we can actually face ourselves. We can confront our own darkness and we can be at peace with it and be liberated from it. 
And then with others, we're called into this new community, the church, and we're called to be a community that bears the likeness of the one whom we serve. And then we're called to be reconcilers to the whole world. We can bear this message of reconciliation to others. So the massive, the massive implications of sin in all four directions, towards God, towards self, towards others, and towards the world, are met with a massive resolution of sin in Jesus, centered as it is on his death on the cross. What does it mean this morning for us as a community? How, how can we be a cruciform community living as we are, as exiles in this strange age? The Apostle Paul again in 2 Corinthians says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trans- trespasses against them, and trusting, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So as his ambassadors, what does that mean? Well, another way of saying that might be as his representatives, as his restored image bearers, as his icons, we are the ones who are to reflect back to the, to the world around us this message of reconciliation. We are to embody it as a community of people and our communi- communal identity as the church. You see, if we're gonna become a cruciform community, a community that has been marked by the radical self-giving love of Jesus, we're gonna have to take up the way of Jesus. When I think about this, as I was thinking about this um, and preparing for this uh, talk this week, um, a few things kind of collided in my mind very late last night as I couldn't sleep. (laughs) And um, we were in the office a couple of weeks ago and, and Mike, who you may know, Mike, who is become our admin and venue manager in Redeemer. He asked a question of us in the office. He said, um, how is Donegal Street any the better for us being there? And uh, initially I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Kind of dismissed it. But then it kind of sat with me and it sat with me for two or three weeks as uh, I've pondered it since then. Because it's true, how, how is Donegal Street? How is our parish better for us being there? And then yesterday on one of the WhatsApp groups, Megan, who you may know, sent around a little TED talk. And the idea behind this TED talk was a guy who in Detroit, he had bought a very cheap home in a very rundown neighborhood where there was lots of poverty, lots of need. And um, through rebuilding houses, through making relationships, through planting gardens, through raising livestock, through just simple things of bringing regeneration to the city. Uh, and the, the idea that he, uh, that he called his idea, this idea was radical neighborliness. Um, it just struck me as being a concrete reality of what embodying this idea of being a community that embodies this ministry of reconciliation, what it could actually be. Radical neighborliness. What would it look like for us to be radically neighborly, a community that literally plants gardens and literally rebuilds houses and literally restores streets to dwell in. 
And then as I thought about it, there are already some glimmers of hope in the community of Redeemer as we think about this. You know, once a month we have family matinee happening downstairs. And this is a beautiful thing. I think of people like Patricia, who comes along to family matinee every month. She doesn't even have kids. She's an old, wee old lady. She's a granny. She comes and she comes to drink a cup of tea and just to have a chat and just to fill us in on what her, what's going on in her life. She just loves to do that. It is a space for her to come and be known and be loved and to be heard. And then I think of others who have come along and they started off as patrons in Family Matt and they just kind of come in with their kids to, to watch the movie. And over time, as they've gained some ownership of the space themselves, how they've actually kind of got up off their seats and begun to serve others and begun to tidy up and begun to take ownership of the place. And they found community. They have found a place of belonging, a place where they can be heard, a place where they can be known. And then I think about all the little kids that we get to serve um, and it's beautiful, beautiful Somali kids who, are, who have immigrant status, who maybe have been refugees at some point in their life and they've come to Northern Ireland and they have found um, asylum here and uh, we get to paint their faces. We get to see Christ in them. We get to actually practice everyone an icon to those in our city who desperately need it. And then I think about He's not here today, so I can talk about him. I think about our very own Stephen Wilson, who recently exhibited some photographs, or he produced a, a project, a, a photography project. He's a professional photographer. And he went down to St. Patrick's. The, this was as part of uh, 20 years of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, uh, there, there, there was uh, an initiative to do 20 different uh, exhibitions, artists to do exhibitions. Uh, and uh, Stephen was one of those artists, and he went down to St. Patrick's, the, the chapel down the road, and he took photographs of the interior and different bits and pieces around the chapel, and he took photographs of 101 Donegal Street, and he took photographs of the ordinary and the sublime in this building. And um, watch out, because on, I think it's culture night, we're thinking that we're going to do an exhibition between displaying the photographs from here inside St. Pat's and then from St. Pat's inside here. And the title of that exhibition is um, Same Difference. Recognizing the image of God in those who may have been thought of as the other. And then as a senior leadership team, we were kind of riffing on this and kind of imagining where could we go with this? What? There's real power in the arts. There's real power for art to break down those barriers that we can set up around ourselves. And doesn't take much to imagine the neighbors that we have around us here in Donegal Street. You know, we've got the students and there's soon going to be thousands more. We've got the LGBTQ community across the road. We've got the business community. We've got all sorts of people, this real melting pot of culture and influence and all sorts of stuff going on around us. So there are signs of life in this community of radical neighborliness, but I want to call us to more of that this morning. I want to call us to be a cruciform community, one that pours itself out for the other, one where strangers are welcomed in, one where gardens are planted, one where streets are restored as a physical embodiment of the message of reconciliation that we're to carry. A cruciform community is one where the other, where the dispossessed, where the poor, where the outcast, 
those on the fringes, those in the margins, where they're welcomed in. It's one where the first will be last and the last will be first, where it's the, milk, the meek, not the strong, who will inherit the earth. It's one where we're called to emulate the weakness of God as it's displayed on the cross, where self-giving, suffering love wins the day. It's one where the economics of the upside down, topsy-turvy kingdom of God are embodied. We need to realize this afresh, Redeemer Central, that the most disruptive force in all of creation is the self-giving, poured out, suffering love of Jesus. The kind of love that prayed for those who killed him. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus has shown us the way, the way of radical self-giving love. There's no boundaries to the love of Christ that we're entrusted with in this ministry of reconciliation. There are no borders that we cannot cross. There is no dividing line. There is no fence that excludes. In this new humanity that Jesus is forming, that he is birthing in the midst of the world, there are no walls between people of different class, creed, nationality, gender, or identity. Whoever we are and however we come to the table, we are all called to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, end of. Anabaptist theologian Stanley Harwas put it like this. He said, Jesus is Lord, everything else is bullshit. And that's in the Greek. <laughs> I can show you chapter and verse. So as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we partner with him in bringing this message of reconciliation. We are to embody it as a community of embrace this image restoring work. We are to reflect back to the world, a world of brokenness and beauty that indeed everyone is an icon. But listen, there's a cost to this. There's a cost to walking the way of Jesus, to be a cruciform community, a community where Jesus is indeed Lord. We are invited to share in his death. As he bore his cross, so he invites us to bear our own crosses. Being an, a restored image bearer of Christ means we are to be like him. Remember Jesus' story of the rich young man who went away sad because Jesus had told him to sell everything that he owned and he couldn't do it. The guy couldn't do the thing that Jesus asked of him, so he went away sad. And then we remember these words of Jesus, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We kind of don't like this bit of the message of Jesus and our instant gratification, create your best life now kind of culture. The message of Jesus cuts hard against this, in an exhausted world where the marketplace, where our jobs, where our responsibilities, where our aspirations all conspire to make this message of losing your life to gain it a pretty bitter pill to swallow, if we're honest. And there's no one size fits all. What does it look like for an affluent middle-class family? What does it look like for the single mom? What does it look like for the lonely? What does it look like for the asylum seeker? What does it look like for those who are facing the difficult things in life? What is it that he is asking you to die to? What is it that he is asking us as a community to die to? 
how will we become a community of death, a community that takes seriously this call to die? Maybe we're called by Jesus to go into the difficult things that are before us, pain, sorrow, illness, abandonment, or broken relationships in our lives, those things that feel like death to us. Maybe bearing our cross means that we're willing to go with Jesus into those difficult things. And as we do that, as we do that, we can trust Jesus that he will go with us and eventually bring us into a beautiful place on the other side, the place of hope, the place of resurrection. This is kind of like the depth point of our faith, that our moments of greatest growth and transformation along the way of Jesus are also those moments of greatest suffering, greatest pain, greatest sorrow, greatest testing. And that's the moment we start to look like that beautiful piece of Japanese gold-restored pottery. You see, there's this deep paradox at work as we discover that even as we take up the way of Jesus, what it's called to die, to take up our crosses and go with him into the difficult things that we're actually gaining something so precious and valuable in return. He makes us a little bit more like him. So in summary, what are we, what are we gonna take from all this this morning? We're called to be a community that is shaped after the, cruciform, the crucified Jesus whom we follow. Well, God has reconciled all things to himself, as we said, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's reconciled us to himself, us to ourselves, us to others, and us to the world. This movement outward to the world is our call to be a community of restored image bearers who carry this message of reconciliation. We can do this by practicing radical neighborliness. There are no boundaries to this embodied message. In doing so, we're called to die with Christ and die to ourselves, to see what he is calling us into as our own little deaths and to walk with him into them and to know that when we do so, he will take us through and on the other side, we will experience something beautiful, something good, something true, something of resurrection, life and hope. And in the process, he makes us a little bit more like himself. I'm gonna invite the band up and we're gonna finish in a moment. Just a final word about death. Ultimately, death itself has been defeated. Christ has been victorious. He has defeated the grave. He has entered into death and undone it from the inside. It could not hold him. The last book of the Bible speaks of death finally being destroyed in the end, the death of death. And just like the angel said to Mary at the empty tomb that first Easter morning, do not be afraid. He is not here for he is risen. I'm just gonna ask Dave to strum a few notes in the background. I wanna invite you just to sit up straight in your seat, change your posture, put your feet flat on the ground. Why don't you close your eyes? Why don't you take a deep breath? And I'm gonna invite, just invite the Holy Spirit to come. 
Holy Spirit, would you come? Thank you for being with us. Thank you that we find ourselves resting in you at this moment. Come and be at work in our midst. You know, Catholic and Orthodox believers throughout the centuries have begun and ended prayer with the sign of the cross. The earliest records of making the sign of the cross were by Tertullian in the third century, which is about 1800 years ago. So this is an invitation to engage with the God who is Trinity, to engage with our Heavenly Father, our Abba, our Papa, our Daddy, to engage with the Son Jesus, to engage with the Holy Spirit. Why don't you take a deep breath? Breathe in God's light, God's love, God's strength. As you breathe out, choose to let go of any anxiety, any pain, any worry that you might have. Remember as you do that, Jesus' words as he breathed in his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Imagine that Jesus is breathing on you right now in this moment. Let your prayer in this moment just be a simple breathing. Breathe in. Breathe out. Now take your right hand and place it in the center of your forehead. We pray in the name of our Creator God, Abba, Papa, Father. We offer you our minds, our will, our intellects to you, Father, that we would love you with our whole minds. Place your right hand now on your heart. We pray in the name of the Son, of the sacred heart that was wounded, the heart of love that is the Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. We ask that we would be conformed to Christ-likeness in our hearts. Take a moment to take stock of your own heart in this moment. Is it soft? and pliable, alive and active? Or is it cold and in need of a touch from Jesus? He wants us to give him our hearts, whatever its current state. And place your right hand on your right shoulder. We pray in the name of the Holy. We acknowledge that we are in need of grace, that our lives need to be made holy. Whatever you're ashamed of in this moment, Surrender it to Jesus. Whatever you're proud of in this moment, surrender it to Jesus. Place your right hand on your left shoulder. We pray in the name of the Spirit. We look to the one who abides with us, the one who has not left us as orphans, but has come to us and has made Christ known to us. Spirit, come amongst us, we pray. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.